0: What are we at?
1: Good morning. You were taking too long.
0: <laughs> welcome to Coffee Side Chat, a podcast about anything and everything.
1: This is such a typical opening. We haven't done this in a while. We've done a lot of just cold opens lately.
0: Yep. I just had to go back old school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like it. I like our welcome address. I think it's fun. How are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. What are you drinking today?
1: I am drinking the Tecalmo Roast again. I have learned from you and from James Hoffman that I really need a scale because I didn't do it right. So it's it's watery. I just finally got a sip of it because I used the kettle and so it's too hot right away. And it's just... Not awesome coffee because I didn't put enough coffee grounds in it. But it's the Tecoma, which is the local tribe's brewing company.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm on my um, Eight O'Clock. That's the brand, at least. It's called Eight O'Clock. It's just the original. Some from Walmart, I think it is. Except
1: it's just the an... stuff you got like two pounds of.
0: Yeah, way more than I could possibly drink at the time or way more than I wanted at the time. It's actually almost gone. So. Oh, wow. And I bought, an, I bought a pound of coffee in between. So I've basically gone through three pounds of coffee in three weeks, basically.
1: Oh my gosh, you drink so much more coffee than me. <laughs> yep. You need to have an actual coffee bu- budget. I can put coffee in my groceries. You need to have a coffee budget.
0: <laughs> that is actually correct. Be- because if I get... So the way I budget my coffee is only having three coffee containers I use at once so that means no more than three pounds at a time now Mm -hmm. if I start buying more containers that might be a problem so I just haven't (laughs) haven't bought any more containers for coffee although we do still have some old containers I just have them stored away so I can't see them so they don't count
1: (laughs) Um, did you see James Hoffman's video about coffee containers
0: yes yes that's
1: way more interesting than I wanted it to be (laughs)
0: Oh, absolutely. And I almost bought a couple of them, so there's that. So I just like, no, no Malik, no more coffee containers. Don't even look at them. It's bad. Yeah, Hoffman, there's a a grinder that he reviewed that you cannot get in America, and it upsets me so much.
1: Mm, I was just about to watch the grinder video because I need a grinder.
0: Well, there are like three different, four different grinder videos. Watch that one because it's useful, but the one I watched was just a review of one from like a year ago, Mm, but you still can't get it in America. It looks super cool, but you can't get it. It is Norwegian. So the the company's Norwegian and they don't even have people who ship to America half the time. So that was sad.
1: Um, If I ever get to live in Germany, which is like a far off dream. <laughs> um, you'll have to tell me which one it is and I'll order it for you and bring it back.
0: I dig it. That's what I want. I'm going to send you over there, have you uproot your entire life, move to Germany so that you can get me a coffee grinder.
1: But that's like a far off, far off dream.
0: You just retire in Germany.
1: Maybe. But if I retire in Germany then I might have Kids or grandkids in the United States And that would be inconvenient So I'd have to do it sooner rather than later
0: Just bring the grandkids and the kids with you Who cares That's everyone, so expensive. everyone can live in Germany
1: Mm-mm. We'll talk about the practicality Of that at another time Because that sounds The impractical Do not put that on my head <laughs> My potential future grandchildren are rolling their eyes at me. Grandma, don't move us to a different country just because I got school. What are we talking about?
0: So we're going to talk about election lotteries. And where the whole concept came from and whether or not we even think it's a good idea, which is kind of important. Um, So... We both listen to a podcaster named Malcolm Gladwell. He does revisionist history and his series this, um, this what year, I guess it is, basically. It's every six months they switch, right, basically.
1: Okay. I I don't actually know what the series is because I started listening after he was already like a season in, and so I just listened to the whole season. And then I just listen to a whole season at a time.
0: Yeah, he's on season five right now. This is episode oh, three, season five. So, yeah, so I think it's basically every six months they do a new seasons. But either way, they, he was doing an interview, and he was talking to a guy named Adam Cronkite. And basically, he came up with this idea of doing election lotteries for student bodies for high school and middle schoolers. So instead of having the typical, oh, we all go, and we all do speeches and we all do campaigns and we all try to run for office and usually the popular kids win, you have everyone who wants to participate. They volunteer. You put a uh, a bunch of beans inside of a bucket or a pot and then you put a specific number of positions of a different color. So let's say you do 100 um, you have 112 people, you do hundred green beans and 12 purple and one just walks up, they pick a bean out and they show it to the crowd. And if you get a purple one, you're part of the student body. That's it. No elections, no runoff, no speeches, nothing. <laughs> just you volunteer, you get to participate. If you are randomly selected out of a, about a hundred people, yeah, so yeah. that, and that's the entire concept, which listening to it at first, I I'm like, that seems crazy
1: (laughs) oh yeah especially when the first one he's talking about is like the whole school wanted to do it because it was like an elementary school or something and he said pretty much every kid wanted to do it and so just the thought of like i'm thinking about the elementary schools i worked in this past year and seeing 300 to 400 kindergartner through fifth graders lining up and like i can't imagine them figuring that out was like this is such a terrible idea but then he kept talking about it, and especially when he talked about doing it with um, the high school, the the night school, that one just blew me away. The night school was my favorite example. It's like, if, if this worked everywhere, and the fact that he did it with three schools. So, yeah, I'm going to steal the mic from you for a minute. So, Adam Cronkite went to Bolivia which is where my sister lives he actually went to the city where my sister lives which is so funny to me um I was like I've been in this town I know this town so he went to Cochabamba Bolivia which is in the mountains and it's like a poor less recognized city in Bolivia most people know La Paz or um oh what's the other one what's the other capital of Bolivia why can I not remember this right now there are two Santa Cruz that's the other one um most people know those ones. Nobody knows Cochabamba because it's like not as big, not as famous, not as big of a deal. Um, but I was like, I know this city. I was so excited. Uh, but yeah, so he went to th- three different schools, right?
0: Yeah, three different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the elementary, a daytime high school, and a night high school.
1: Yeah. Um, and listening to the elementary is like, there's no way this will turn out well. But then he went to the high school, and it was less kids, and it was. The whole concept was basically taking away, it took away all the politicking of it and let kids who were not the popular kids have a chance. Because like I never ran for student council. I definitely had ideas for student council when I was in high school that I was like, I'm not even going to run because I'm not going to get voted in. And then you could be on this, like in this student council club or something without being voted in. But I was like, but it's all popular kids who are all friends with each other. And to try to get my voice heard in that, like, that's not worth it. I'm not doing that. Um, And so I didn't. And I skipped it. And so, like, hearing the high school, the day school, hearing what they were going through and, like, that same thing of a bunch of high schoolers who were like, meh, not going to do it. And then they saw their chance and they jumped on it. And that was really exciting for them to get kids who, like, otherwise wouldn't have done it and to see all these success stories from, like, the quiet kid who actually ends up being the best leader and the kid who looks like He's going to be a terrific leader who ends up ditching because he's like, this isn't what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And then the night school. So at the night school, they had a lot less students and a lot lower participation. Um, But they ended up doing a lot of really cool ideas because they were able to hear from an actually diverse set of students. Um, When you do all the politicking that comes with student body elections, student council elections. Um, you get kids from the same friend group, or at least kids who, like, understand each other and are now more related to each other, but then when you do the random drawing, it's anybody and everybody, and so you get that diversity that comes with randomness. And so they were doing really cool things, like making like addressing things that students were actually dealing with, like, we don't have ID, so we can't get on the bus, so they're charging us double, and I can't afford that and still go to school, and in a place like Bolivia where school is more optional um not like a hundred percent optional but there are definitely more options and like it's more acceptable to not go to a regular high school um yeah that was really exciting that was a really long tangent I'm sorry I tried to unmute you (laughs) that's not how that works
0: no no you're fine Um, So outside of just taking the politicking, they took the showmanship out of it because so much of it is a matter of getting on stage and having a really good stage presence. But that doesn't always translate to quieter or less demonstrative kids. And even if they have a good idea, if you go out there and compare to the one guy who is, you know, super exciting, you're going to look like you don't really care or you don't know what you're doing or, you know, you don't have the great body language that someone else does. So you get left out. Um, And so it was really interesting to see how many kids really were like, no, I would really do this, but I don't want to be stuck in front of a bunch of people performing, trying to outperform someone else to get a chance. So I thought that was really, really interesting.
1: I thought that was demonstrated really well with the first school that he shows up in in the United States. I don't remember the name of the school or where it was, but there was a school that he went to that is supposed to be like the ultimate example of democracy in student elections
0: Lawrenceville in New Jersey
1: thank you Lawrenceville in New Jersey Um, they they talked to the student body president and they were talking about his election and he was talking about how he had to be more engaging and more charismatic then the guy he was running against, and he was like, oh, yeah, the other guy's in theater, so he is a really good public speaker, and I'm not a good public speaker. Meanwhile, he's, like, giving a speech off the top of his head to Malcolm Gladwell. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was a really good example of showing how much showmanship went into it. And even though he probably was a very good student body president, like, uh, can I spoil the end of that episode? <sighs>
0: uh yeah i mean we're, we'll get there but yeah go ahead
1: like that even though he like everybody thought he was a good student body president and he thought he was pretty good and like they went through all the politicking and went through all the democracy and stuff they got to the end of the episode and all the kids said or not all the kids there was an average um disappointment level uh with the students that they had decided ahead of time like if we all say that our happiness with the system is below this number then we think we should maybe consider a change and they got that number even though they had all decided like we like our student body president all of them were like but we like the idea of something new and not just for something new sake like there was proof hard proof in bolivia and in the united states in a lot of different situations where the lottery drawing was actually more successful I don't know how you gauge successful but was really successful in a way that regular elections quote-unquote democratic re- elections were not
0: yeah absolutely and it's one of those it's one of those crazy things where you really think about We think that, oh, if we just leave it open, you know, and we make people run campaign, we'll find the best candidates. And it's like, not really, especially when you're only really selecting from a small group of kids versus the entire student body. There are so many things, especially in the night high school, like you were saying, that so many more kids have problems with that the popular kids or the wealthy families would never even think about. So those kids don't get any, don't get heard on any of the issues that they really have. So when you take away the politics and showmanship, you get, okay, a wide diversity um, of potential. And that was one of like, you know, Gladwell does his big takeaways. And there are three of them as just referring to the schools and he kind of applies it to um, science a little bit later. But he's like, democracies discourage participation. Lotteries encourage it. Um, When you choose by lottery, you get a significant change in what you actually get from the student body and what they actually care about. And the third and most important one, no one knows anything. (laughs) Or really that people are a bad predictors of leadership based off of just doing speeches or campaigning. So,
1: (laughs) Yeah. Can we break it down and talk about each point really quick? Yeah. Yeah, so the first one, talking about democracies discourage participation, he asked the class in Lawrenceville, he said, if we had a lottery, how many of our presidents would be women? And they said 50%, because that's the chance. And I was like, yeah, it is. If you decrease that other part of elections that is not actually that important, like how charismatic can you be, how good of a showman can you be and you open it up to more than just that small group of people who are already running in so many elections like I don't know if you know anything about any local elected bodies in any of the areas you've lived in I don't know what your knowledge is on that but I know as a reporter I had to know quite a bit of this and I would see the same faces at a lot of the same meetings or a lot of different meetings like a lot of different bodies would have the same people carried over so you'd get the same voices which like there's benefit in that in the sense of they can bring information from one meeting to another and be like oh well I know that this body's working on that so we can work on this and we can work together and make it work but you would get those same voices and I notice even just driving around town the people I see walking around like there's a very it very easily splits into different groups of people and I recognize who's walking around where even in my small town But yeah, just encouraging that participation. And like I was saying with my high school body, high school council experience, it was like the same 10 kids. And if they ran, they were running against each other. Um, But they were still friends at the end. And you'd find out next weekend that they all went to parties together. And I was like, what about so-and-so in ag class? Or not ag class, they were mostly ag kicks. the kid in like welding or something that has so many ideas that are not being heard but yeah that's my note on the first point is like encouraging participation like if we really had a lottery we would see the diversity in our elected bodies and in our elected officials
0: which which leads right into the second point the the policies or the Problems in the community that you would see would be more diverse, like you would see, okay, this side of town really needs these four or five different things that the other side of town doesn't need. So Mm -hmm. but you would never get that if you didn't have the first point where we have more people actually involved. Um, And instead of trying to break through the current system, making a new system, that would be better.
1: Yeah, the third one was the one that shocked me the most, but actually makes the most sense to me is the one that no one knows anything. And humans are really poor predictors of leadership qualities. And it's so true because, like, I'm thinking of just my... um, I use this example a lot when I'm applying for jobs because I think it's really funny and it gives me reason to be nervous and then people justify me being nervous, but I shouldn't be nervous. Um, My first internship, I... What happened? Like near the end of the internship, um, I ended up staying on later than a lot of the other interns that were hired at the same time as me. And my intern supervisor told me you were the worst interviewee, but the best intern. And that shown so many other places. Like just interviews in general. somebody was talking about I think it was Malcolm Gladwell was talking on a different episode. He said that um we shouldn't do in person Uh, interviews because what does that tell you other than what the person looks like and whether they're fidgety like it doesn't actually tell you very much to have an in-person interview other than just like what are their immediate politeness I think you and I might have talked about this at another point that like there are some benefits like you get to interview that person but then you also see how they interact with like the front desk person and stuff so there are some benefits but overall That in-person, in-the-room interview, you don't actually learn that much. Um, And so taking that away and see how that changes things. And it's the same thing with elections. It's the same thing. It's an interview with everybody all at once. And who's the best interviewee? Not who's the best candidate. Who's the best interviewee? And I think a lot of people have leadership abilities who don't believe they do because they're not good at that public interview process.
0: Yep. They don't, they don't feel like they remind everybody else of those public officials that are so dynamic. So, you know, grandiose it's like, yeah, those are very rare people, but that doesn't mean every leader has to be like that. But it really gets you into your head that mm, if you're not like this, you're probably not going to make it. It's like, that's not really true. I find that even at, Um, Home Depot, some of the more quiet associates are by far the better leaders, by far the better like people to stay on top of a task and, you know, really hold everybody else accountable. It's like the Lao people, typically they don't really do very well in leadership roles. It (laughs) typically is a problem. So.
1: That was something that Adam Cronkite found with some of the high schools in Bolivia was that the quieter kids not always like it wasn't a given you never know who's going to be a good leader just by looking at them or on those first conversations but they would show up to to that first meeting with the new student council with a bunch of kids who didn't know each other who maybe have never met each other before um and he would start to see who was the leader and a lot of times it would be the quiet kid who would show up and would just be that consistent leader Consistent helper who was just always there taking care of things, always staying behind to do what needed to be done. And the loud kid who expected to be the best leader was the one who was like, this. This isn't what I wanted.
0: Or or even better still, they think that their loudness is quality leadership and they basically get thrown out of the student body because they're causing more harm than good. Oh, Yeah. So the fact that they I thought that was really interesting, the fact that they basically have it set up to where you can be tossed out <laughs> if you don't if you don't get along with everybody or you don't really do your part, if you just try to lead but just because you want to and try to be all bossy, they will just kick you out. <laughs> Which is amazing. Be like, you know what? You gotta go, buddy. That's it. <laughs> you just get thrown out of student body.
1: Yeah, Crazy. it's it's an actual show of are you a good leader? So you get like a trial run almost of like If you're a terrible leader, we'll start over. We'll kick you out. We'll try again. But with elections, we're like, well, we picked you. We voted you in. And now you're here. So I guess we'll let you stay. (laughs) But the way they have it set up, it's, yeah, like, if you're bad at this, we're not going to make you do it. And we're going to tell you, you know what? It didn't work out. Let's try again. We'll do another lottery for just one person. And bring them in. Um, I. The whole time I was listening. I was like okay yeah. I very much agreed with the whole. He, knock on Gladwell. Does a really good job of like guessing. What you're going to be thinking. And then flipping it really quick. <laughs> um, when he was talking about like. Okay so this works in Bolivia. In a couple random high schools. Does this work elsewhere. And so then he talked about how Adam Grant Did this like started an organization in Bolivia, that's pushing this idea more and is bringing it to more schools. Um, but then he talked about the... I'm so glad you wrote this down in our show notes because I would not remember this. I don't know what NIH stands for, though. Actually, I'll let you take this. National Institute of... Of health. Health. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: So the NIH is responsible for providing grants to um, colleges and all kinds of you know labs around the country providing money for them to do their research, and they do a very similar kind of election for who gets the money so they have thirty billion dollars a year they have to divvy out, but that's really only enough for twenty percent of the applications they get they get about eighty thousand applications a year, so they can only give twenty percent um, any money, so they have a first round of you know, reviewers, they weed out the obviously bad ones and then they come back for a second round and they take those guys and they rank them 10 to 90, 10 being basically a perfect proposal, 90 being the worst you could possibly do. Um, And they basically been doing it for 75 years. And so that's billions and billions of dollars. And Michael Lauer, who's the deputy director of the research department, Um, he thought, you know, based on, you know, how he felt about everything that there would be a correlation between the, the things, the proposals that get a really good score and how well their research went, because in science, basically the value of your research is determined by how many other studies cite your research. So they think, okay, well, we would imagine if someone got a 10, they would be cited, you know, 500 times. Because their research is so good, the thing they found out, of course, was that guess what? There is no correlation. You're just as much li- just as likely to waste a billion dollars as you are to use it for something good, and that was very stunning um, to Lauer because he was like of course we would get this right. We have all these super fancy science, you know, these super scientists who are so good and they can be really critical and they know what they're talking about. And you look up and nope, no one knows what they're talking about, <laughs> which is rule number three all over again.
1: I think the most important point about that example is that Michael Lauer went back and reviewed and he said, okay, We haven't looked at how well this system works. Let's actually stop, take a minute, and review and make sure that this system is doing what it's supposed to do and that it is a successful system. And I think that's something that we don't do or we don't do well. Um, And we get a lot of push and pull on, like, well, did you examine it correctly? And with the science field, it's a very clear evidence there's very, there's very clear proof of whether something is a good research paper or not because of the citing. Um, but like, yeah, that he stopped and was like, are we doing this right? Is this doing what it's supposed to be doing? We've been doing this for three quarters of a century. Let's take a minute and look.
0: Yep. And when they looked, the fact that they really looked and he's like. Oh, my God. Like you can hear like his voice in the interview and he's like, I can't believe we haven't been doing this right. And it may be better to kind of do a lottery style where you really there's some research you can just get rid of altogether because, you know, it's bad. The the model is bad or whatever. But after you get rid of those, obviously, 90, (laughs) you know, you don't want those 90s, you just get rid of all of those and then you just just lotto it. Just grab some, grab one. Here you go. You get a grant. You get a grant, and just pass it out, and you probably get a similar, maybe even a better result from all that research, all that, all those billions of dollars. I just look at the price tag. And it's like billions of dollars a year, and they're basically just guessing. <laughs> it's like, well, if you're if if the whole idea is that we're going to be guessing on this, well, let's give more people an opportunity. You know, if we're just guessing anyway, spread it out, and you know don't just do it for the people who present the best. Like how about we just pass it out and see what happens because if it's a crapshoot, just let it be a crapshoot but let it be fair, (laughs) let it be a fair crapshoot.
1: Yeah, it's a fair crapshoot and then all these people who are doing that second round of doing like the secondary scoring and giving like all of the work that goes into that, having a whole panel of people go through this. You saved all their time. because they're not actually doing anything anyway. They're just doing busy work essentially at that point. Like that's what he found is like, it doesn't make a difference if we have this panel of people doing all this work, like it doesn't matter. So let's save them all this time and put them to work doing something else more useful.
0: Yep, it's it's very, Very interesting to see when you look at certain things that we've built, like, oh, this has to work, of course, because only the most qualified people could possibly choose this. And you realize that those super qualified people, mind you, probably very brilliant, like super smart people, but there's no way to predict the future. You don't know that that student that you think is going to be great if they have done half the research on a false premise. And you don't know that until you've spent the money, done the research and realized it doesn't work, which is a lot of science, you know, and going through college they design experiments to be as close to consistent as possible when when you do them but even then even sometimes someone might get a bad batch of chemicals and then bam their whole experiment's messed up even in a controlled environment like that let alone research where you have you're starting from zero trying to figure out all the potential things that could go wrong so it's a it would be a way better use of money it seems to do it a little more random
1: <laughs> yeah i Totally agree. That was the part that I was like, oh, shoot. So I've been, I think about that particular example all the time now. So I recently had to go through um, an interview process where I had to rank the locations I wanted. Um, And even just ranking them, I was like, can I just flip a coin? Because that'll probably be just the same. (laughs) Because they were all really good. And I was like, okay, any of these is a win. But ranking them is like me choosing and voting for which one i think should be president vice president and secretary of state and it doesn't really matter and so putting those numbers i was like can i do it this way can i do the lottery but pushing yourself into that and saying okay we're gonna let go of our idea of control our our um belief that we have some control over the situation dropping that and saying okay I'm going to pick a random bean and say who's first, second, and third. I didn't do it. I ended up picking numbers because I was like, I can't let go of that sense of control. And I ended up, like, it ended up not mattering anyway because they picked the one I picked third, which was still a win, and I'm really excited about the one I picked third. Um, but I was like, I might as well have just done a lottery and not stressed about it so much because it doesn't matter.
0: It's not like you, like putting number one by one guaranteed that you were going to get it, you know? Right. So, yeah. And then he, his last little wrinkle for the school um, in New Jersey was, what do you think about colleges doing that for admissions where instead of having, you know, the big, all right, everyone, we're going to do these interviews. We're going to do this. the other. It's like, you know what, let them apply and pick them out of a hat and just see how it rolls. And, a lot of those kids were juniors and seniors and that whole thought I think made a lot of them very very nervous because they are like man what i've done all this work i've built like my whole thing on this system and what if they change it you know the whole idea of you know oh god now all the stuff work i did could be useless so it would be very interesting to see now you would still i think you would still need a like a out process for like minimum score or stuff like that but then anybody who qualifies as part of the admission standards, then you're just like, all right, here you go. (laughs) You get to go to this school that only, you know, we accept a 2000 people in, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That like shook everything for me. I was like, wait, that's a brilliant idea. Like I didn't think about applying it to colleges, but I know, I know, you know, and I know so many kids who were like class president or, um like valedictorian and they went to big universities like the university of texas at austin welcome um (laughs) and they struggled so much and they were like this isn't this isn't what i want to do and they would end up not doing well even though they were top of their class literally top of their class and they would struggle so much in ways that kids who barely got in kids who like Fought tooth and nail to get into this university, ended up just blossoming and did so well, and we're so good at it. And I'm like, okay, like if that's, it was very clear while I was in college that that system didn't work. um Like I know a lot of kids who didn't get in, then I was like, you would probably do a lot better than I'm doing right now. And I was not at definitely not at the bottom of my class, and I struggled a lot with different things. And that also gives kids like the system that it's built on is are you volunteering? Are you involved in things? What are you doing outside of just school? Are you are you not a two percenter? Like that's an 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 thing is like two percent you only put in two percent of the effort or whatever. But then kids who have to work, who have to babysit for their families, who have other obligations outside of school that don't allow them to do things like key club national honor society all that stuff like they're all discounted because they have other obligations that don't let them do what kids who are more financially stable or have more engaged parents or just have better benefits have more privilege to be able to do those things that's why they're getting into colleges and the kids who have more holding them back aren't yeah, exactly. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Because there are kids who once getting getting into college would relieve a lot of the other stress out of their life. But they don't get in because they're like, well, you don't do anything else besides go to school. But then, you know, if, if the essay you have to write isn't some super personal essay where you get to explain to people what's going on in your life, if the essays don't you know, give you that opportunity, but then you're just like, oh, whatever, those kids, they don't, all he does is go to school, he makes Cs, whatever, who cares? Not knowing that, yeah, he's going to school, perfect attendance, and working, and doing all his other stuff that, you know, a lot of kids don't have to do when you're in a different situation, especially when you're younger and, you know, financial problems have hit your family, it's a different thing.
1: Or even situations where, like also financial, but um, if you're not working, but even if like you can't get a ride back from school unless you take the bus, like kids who have to take the bus every day and they don't have an option to get home in the other way, like how are you supposed to join a club or do anything outside of school or even go in for tutoring after school or something if you need it, if you have to ride the bus and there's only one bus and you take it in, you take it out and there's no other way to get home. Those kids are also discounted. And they're like, okay, like you don't count, even though like your only excuse is you didn't have a ride. That's a big excuse.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, them changing the way college admission goes would significantly help that situation where you're just like, you got the test you need, the score you need on your ACT to get in. Cool. Mm -hmm. You get to go, you get to be a part of the lottery. If, if that's like, you know, here, you're in every time you just and then you pick from that selection. So if you if you tear it all down and just go, OK, did you pass your entry test? Did you graduate from high school? Pot. <laughs> that would change things a lot, I think.
1: So I wonder how that because we're talking about um, getting kids in, especially kids from financial st- situations. I wonder how that would apply to scholarships. Could we use the same system? In a scholarship system
0: Oh boy That would be intense
1: Because that's where I think Like colleges yes work out that system of Like are you Doing everything above and beyond Are you the best Um, But I think scholarships really push that Because that's A lot of times even more competitive Than getting into school Because a lot of times it's competing between schools Or it's like the best kids In this program are all applying for this scholarship and only the top one gets it.
0: Yeah, that's like the um the Dr. Pepper scholarship. I think that mm-hmm. was $50,000, which is a whole lot of money, but I think it was only three kids in the country. Yeah. I applied <laughs> for it. It's like it's like it's a, it's the it's such a large amount. You know, you go through weed out processes as you go up to like the top level, but you're talking about, you know, Twenty, thirty thousand people across the country apply for one scholarship, and it's like, hey, only three of y'all are gonna get it, or two of y'all yeah. might get it, and that's it. The rest of y'all, although it's it's always weird when you have like mega corporations that put limits on the amount of money they give for education. It's always weird. That's a whole whole weird thing.
1: Mm.
0: It's like you know, y'all could just a hundred of them, you know, <laughs> but but it is like it, if they give
1: a hundred kids ten thousand dollars, that would be better than giving three kids fifty.
0: Yeah. Like spread it out a little bit, but that's, that's another problem yeah. on, on its own. But yeah, it, it, that's using that for scholarship would be very interesting. You would have to set minimum requirements, of course, because you can only manage so much when it's, you know, we're talking about you, a hundred thousand people applying for something. It's like, okay, we have to yeah. you set you know, whatever minimum standards you want, but they, you know, but you want the minimum standards, which is hard to judge, to be reachable by the widest majority of kids. You don't want to make it so hard that it's impossible to even get into the lottery. So
1: Um, I've seen a lot of schools. You were talking about ACT and SAT scores earlier. I've seen a lot of schools actually taking that down or not requiring it and making it optional, which I think is really great because like the SAT and ACT are just really weird and there are really easy ways, not easy ways, but there are a lot of ways to study specifically for those tests. And if you can nail those tests, that doesn't mean you're a good student. That just means you know how to take that test well.
0: Yeah, it's it's a mark of can you study for something you're given time to study for? That's that's really what they are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's and, that, that's a part of going to college, getting studying for something that you need to, you know, using your time properly. But it's such a small part of the whole thing. It's weird to hinge so much weight on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think taking those scores away has actually contributed. I could be totally wrong. I don't have any science on this, but I think that could contribute to the lottery system in colleges because then they're taking away. Did you spend one hundred dollars to learn how to study for this one test? How many times did you take the test six and then you took your best score out of that and that's the one you sent cool we'll take that instead of the kid who was like i could only afford to take it once i took it once i gave it my best shot i got like a score but it wasn't great um so it takes that whole element out of the picture when you do take away those scores
0: yeah that was interesting because when i apply for ut the colleges each college for engineering you know Natural science, whatever they had a minimum ACT score, SAT score. You had before they would even accept you into the college. You could mm-hmm. get into typically the liberal arts college a lot easier, but if, for the engineering, if you didn't get a twenty-four or better on your ACT, I think it was, you weren't getting in.
1: Is that the back <laughs> score twenty-four?
0: No, it's thirty-two, thirty-six okay. now. I think yeah, it's like thirty-six is now. A
1: high score. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: it, it was if like for the engineering college, like you needed to make a good grade, or you weren't going to get in. So it's the whole yeah. weird thing. yeah.
1: That's a weird thing about UT in general, that anytime I try to explain to somebody that I went to the Moody College of Communication within the University of Texas at Austin, they're like, so which school did you go to? i was like, hold on.
0: I went to the University of Texas, but the college I went to inside that school.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's just very confusing outside of, it was very confusing when I started at UT, but like wholly removed from that system in a state where they do quarters instead of semesters or trimesters i think they do quarters it's so weird
0: the cockerel school of engineering (laughs) it's like oh ridiculous did you
1: end up graduating from Cockrell, or do you transfer didn't
0: you i I graduated from the natural science college
1: they don't have a fancy name they're just the natural science college
0: yeah, there's no offense. Not Not enough doctors have put in enough money To get it named something different <laughs> yep, that's, that's, that's how it works That's how it works at UT Especially how it works at universities in general
1: <laughs> I know Moody is I think there are two big buildings in Austin That have Moody on them There's like a Moody bank or something And that's the guy who founded The College of Communication And his pictures are all over the place. Of that school That's so weird Um, That is one place where I don't think we should do a lottery is with, like, the newspaper where you get a trial run. So for the newspaper, you would get – you would do kind of an interview, um, but it was a really lax interview. And then they would give you a story to do, and you would have to write that story and turn it in. And then they would edit it and see how you handled the editing process. And that's something that I'm like, okay, if you get to actually, like, test run how they are as a writer – And see how they do on a deadline that you give them. That's a very realistic deadline. I think that's totally fair. I think that should not be a lottery.
0: Well, and then also the one thing about the age we live in now is you don't have to do a lottery. So let's say you don't make the cut at your at the university's newspaper, right? But if you think you're still a good writer, there are so many avenues outside of the Mm -hmm. school to get your work out there. There are people, there are tech people that I follow now that they're all they did was do a blog before. They didn't do anything else, and they now work for Apple or work for Google. It's like
1: mm-hmm.
0: they didn't have to go through to school or anything. So, is there if there's avenues besides that one gateway? Like you don't get an engineering degree online. You get you go to a school. You know, <laughs> you oh, want yeah. an engineering degree for uh, building a spaceship. Well, you got to go through one. You know. <laughs> You go through aerospace program at some school, you know, it's not like you, there are other options. So if there are other options, it's a little, the lottery's not as necessary, but there are a lot of places where you only have one option.
1: Journalism school. Oh yeah, definitely. Even going into journalism school, I knew this is not a necessary degree and I could get a journalism de- job without getting this degree. Engineering. Yeah. Y- you need an engineering degree, which is frustrating because I want to do civil engineering now. <laughs>
0: yeah well there's a lot of study that has to get get go and be involved when trying to do engineering stuff I know. it's a lot of stuff
1: because you gotta know it's not just like like anything that's social like business or um like there's some technical stuff with business there's a lot of technical stuff but enough that you can figure it on your own um, but it's mostly sh- social stuff um journalism is mostly social stuff with a little bit of technical but you can figure it out um any journalism like broadcasting too, radio too um yeah but then any of the technical stuff you got to get a degree for it. so hmm. thanks for tuning in guys it's been fun um absolutely and we will talk to you next time you know where to find us yeah
0: All Right.